You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Exodus chapter 15 is where we are, and uh, we are going to be moving through just chapter 15 this evening as we study in our, in our study of the book of Exodus chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Tonight it's just chapter the chapter and verse by verse that we're going to be studying it. And uh, if you're taking notes tonight, the title for this message is Praise and Provision. Praise and Provision. And you know well by now if you've been here, but I'm going to remind you every time that you're here as we study the book of Exodus, that it was written by Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, and he wrote the book of Exodus. And as we study it, we've broken it down into two sections and really themed out these two sections as we look first at the deliverance of God's people here in chapters 1 through 18. And then we see the identity, the nation of Israel, their identity as God's people there in chapters 19 through 40. And that is how this book is broken down and really how it parallels the Christian life of how in the same way that the people of Israel are broken out of bondage, delivered by the Lord, well, so too are we given the opportunity to be delivered from bondage through Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. No, our life just takes on a new trajectory of learning and being identified as God's people, much in the same way that we are seeing and going to continue to see the nation of Israel doing as we study. And as we get into the text tonight, we really jump back into the action of where we left off last week. Or if you were with us, we saw the nation of Israel fresh out of Egypt. They are on their way now in this new freedom and on their way to be learning, as we just said, to be identified more and more as God's people. And they're headed ultimately to this land that God has chosen and promised to them. And God wasted no time, if you were with us, you'll remember he wasted no time beginning to instruct these people beginning to instruct the nation of Israel on how they are to walk and to live and carry out their lives. And he also led them clearly. He led them, you remember, by day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire so that they knew, hey, this is where we're supposed to go. This is the way that God is directing us. And we also remember that he secured their freedom last week. We saw that one of the climaxes of the book of Exodus there with the Red Sea crossing, again, a major moment in the book we saw last week as God led his people through the waters of the Red Sea with the waters towering on either side of them. He led them on dry ground and then continued to secure their freedom by drowning all of the Egyptian army as well as Pharaoh and closing up the sea behind them, again, showing that, hey, you are free and this freedom is secured. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back, check it out online, because tonight we continue on. And tonight we continue on, and like I said, we pick back up in the story of the children of Israel now moving forward in their fresh freedom. And as we pick up in the text tonight, what we're going to see is Moses, the leader here leading as he's being led by the Lord, well, he leads the people here freshly in their freedom, seeing it secured by the dead Egyptians on the seashore. He leads them in a song of praise and worship to the Lord for what? He has just done. And that's what we're going to read tonight as we open up in our text. And we're going to read a good portion of the text tonight. In fact, we're going to read verses 1 through 21 so as to see this song of Moses and of Miriam, his sister, in their entirety. And then we will do some talking about those. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 15 is where we are. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. We're going to pray after that, and then we will get into it. As it says there in verse 1, Then Moses and the children of Israel 
they sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, and it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered up together. The flood stood upright like a heap, and the depths congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. And who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed, and you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them, and the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them, and by the greatness of your arm they will be as still as a stone." till your people pass over, O Lord, to the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel, they went out on dry land in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with the timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, so much for the opportunity, Lord, the freedom and the invitation from you, God, that we have to be here. Lord, to be here and to gather together, Lord, and Lord, these that are online watching too, we thank you so much that they have chosen as well, that we have chosen to take this opportunity to study your word, to worship you, and to grow in you, God. And I thank you so much, and Lord, I pray that tonight, as that is exactly what we're endeavoring to do, to worship and to grow in our relationship with you, that Lord, you would help us now as we study your word and seek you in it. And that, Lord, you would not only teach us and help us to understand the things that we see plainly, but also, too, you would help us to learn how to apply them to our lives so that we may live as those led by you in this world, uh, because that's what you want from us. You want us to be led by you. You want us to live for you. And so, Lord, we ask for your help tonight. We ask that, God, you would lead us and you would direct us, and that, Lord, you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, indeed, as our title of our study shows, we are looking at praise and provision tonight in the text. And it's clear to see that this section is, of course, the praise portion of our study. 
And the praise that Moses offers to the Lord, well, it really serves two purposes as it pertains to our study tonight, as it gives both an explanation and an example to the reader. An explanation and an example, and it's to the explanation that we look at first. And, and you know, if you were with us last week, I made mention that perhaps you were disappointed. You left maybe disappointed with the lack of time that we spent looking at the Red Sea crossing. And I told you that if you were to come back tonight, and you are here tonight, and so understand, I will hope to uh, 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 release some of that disappointments. As we see here, both chapter 15, coupled with the real-time account of chapter 14 of the Red Sea crossing, well, they give us, as you look at them both, a, a plain account of what God did there. It gives us a clear explanation of God working on behalf of his people. And as we see this, it's important to note and to, to spend some time on, because for whatever reason, human beings, all, all of us really have a proclivity about us, to read things like what we just saw, to read things within the Bible, things that are plain, the plainest of stories, where we see the work of God, we have a clear picture in our mind of what he did, but then for whatever reason, human beings, us included, we seek to make the plainest of text more complicated. We seek to take it and make it something that it's not. We try to figure it out in our human minds and with our human logic, and we try to make the plain text something that it's not. We see it as not plain. We see it as if there's something hidden, seeing that it just, it's not going to cut it. And again, we all do this. It's not just scholars who have way too much time on their hands, as we often like to point out. You know, we do this not just with what we're reading tonight. We do this with prophecy. You know, within the Word of God, we can do this with prophecy. I was thinking about this today as I was reading and studying, and Daniel chapter 8 came to mind. You know, after Daniel 6, Daniel 6 is, is Daniel in the lion's den. We love Daniel in the lion's den. We love, you know, Sunday school Daniel. But understand that in Daniel chapter 7 and on is the prophetic section of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, there's this, there's this vision that Daniel has as he's there. And as he has this vision, he's there along the river and he sees a ram that's hanging out with two horns. And this ram has these two large horns about him and he's just hanging out by the river and all of a sudden a goat comes out of nowhere and slams into that ram and just knocks him out and breaks those horns. And you read this and you see this vision and this prophecy and if that's all that you had, there would be room to be like, I, I don't know what that means. However, the Bible doesn't leave us to wonder because in verses just down from that vision, it literally says the ram and the two horns that it has are Media and Persia. And the goat that comes out and strikes the ram, well, that is the nation of Greece. And believe it or not, there are people that read that and they're like, oh, I see. But what does it mean? You know, like, what, what, is, what is the deep meaning of this? And it's like, stop it, <laughs> because it's playing for you there. Or in the book of Revelation, you know, the book of Revelation, if you were with us in 2020 and we studied the book of Revelation, I told you over and over again that it's not a hard book to understand. But many people try to make it a hard book to understand. And instead of, of looking at the title, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Jesus and his work. And you know, if you read the book of Revelation, and you try to make every locust and everything falling out of the sky, an Apache helicopter and a nuclear warhead, then you're going to have an issue. But if you just take the plain reading of the text and trust that what the author wrote is actually what it means, well, then you'll be a lot better off. But we, we don't do that. We seek to make it hard. 
We do this with historical stories, like the things with Joshua, like we try to figure out Jericho and all these things with our human logic or judges or things with David. Or especially we do this with the teachings of Jesus, right? Like we read the plane of the text and we seek to apply it to our neighbor, right? Like that's what we do with Jesus. Like our neighbor needs to hear this. Or with his miracles, we try to explain how it actually happened, how he could touch someone and the way that he rubbed his hands together. That brought the person something. It's ridiculous. Jesus did it because... He is the Lord's. And as we read the word of God, we've seen the plain sense of the text. For whatever reason, human beings, we aren't satisfied with it. You know, we'd all do well to, to have the reminder of the, one of the golden rules of Bible study, which says that when the plain sense makes the most sense, then seek no other sense lest you come up with nonsense. We'd all do really well to have that playing in our brains as we read the Bible. Because nonsense and confusion, instead of just faith and trust in the Lord leading you to worship and to follow him for who he is and what he's done, that's where things like making things too complicated in the text, that's where it can bring you. And that is something that has happened here with the Red Sea Crossing, where men and women have read the story, both there in chapter 14, the account of what happened. And then read here as Moses worships the Lord and Miriam leads worship there uh, to the Lord with the people. And they've not been satisfied with the simple fact that God could part the sea and have the nation of Israel walk through it on dry lands. But as you read the account of chapter 14 and the worship of chapter 14, of ch or chapter 14 and then the worship of chapter 15, you see that that is exactly what the Bible says happens. And quite frankly, we should take it at that. You see, it is God who parted the Red Sea by a mighty east wind. He blew back the waters, it said, and dried the ground under the water so that his people could walk through the midst of it. I mean, that's what we read last week in chapter 14 and verse 21. It says, the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all nights. And it says that it made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. It's very plain. It's very clear for us to see and to read there. But would you believe it? That in our world, there are meteorologists and Bible scholars that have teamed up together to seek to figure out the miracle of the Red Sea. They've come together with all of their models and their tools, and they've sat in different positions of the Red Sea where perceived crossings could have taken place. And they've mapped out and figured out that, yes, if a certain wind blew over the mountain ranges because of the topography and the location of that sea, if, if the wind blew at just the right speed for just the right amount of time, then yes, the waters, they would recede. They would recede just enough so that a, a people could walk through it. Which don't get me wrong, that is fascinating. However, it, it doesn't account for the fact that it says that the waters, they were a wall, right? It doesn't say that the waters just kind of receded. They didn't just like blow back and leave a little trail for them. To go. No, it receded to a point where water was stacked on top of one another. It also doesn't account for the fact that the ground underneath it was dry. I don't care how long the wind blows. If all it's doing is pushing the water back a little bit, there's still going to be some marshiness. It's still going to be a little bit muddy. But my Bible says that my God made the ground dry. And understand that as we read this and we see this, it's easy to get trapped into the idea that, oh yeah, no, I, I want to follow that idea. Instead of reading what it says in verse 8 of chapter 15, where it says, and with a blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depth congealed in the heart of the sea. And, and, and though we have a proclivity of making things hard, this right here is so much simpler. 
It's so much better and quite honestly, a lot more fun. Like what, what Moses is doing here is he's, he's using an anthropomorphism. What is giving God human traits and attributes so as to portray how he would have done this or how he could have done it to create this imagery. And it's honestly a lot more fun to think that God parted the Red Sea with a sneeze, right? Like, like to think that he, he did one of these right here and ha, <laughs> just blew it away. Like that is way more fun. And a lot simpler to think than about, of how my God made the Red Sea part. It, it, quite honestly, it's, it's in line with the scripture that a strong wind blew from our God and created this miracle, a miracle for his people to be delivered. Now, I say this too, as we read the scriptures and see these things, I say this, these things that we are to take the, the scriptures at face value and to believe them and trust the, the God that, you know, whose word that it is. But I also want to make sure to clarify that in no way am I advocating for any believer in the Lord or in the Bible to check their brain at the cross or at the door and never think through things. I want to make that abundantly clear. You know, understand that as a, as a Bible, as a Christian and a Bible teacher, I fully believe the Bible. I, I simply do. I believe all of it. Like, if you want to tell me that the God that in the beginning created the, the heavens and the earth, uh, you know, he made water stand up on top of one another, I can jive with that. I have no problem with that. I have faith in what the Bible says, but I have, and you have as well, some gray matter between your ears. We all have a brain that God has given us, and we all have the ability to think. God has given us the ability to think and to use our brains, and he has given that to us, not just to think about things that pertain to our life here and just doing you know, things that are normal, like walking and talking and driving and eating and stuff, but also to think on the things of him to think and to dwell, and even at times logically think through things so as to be solidified in our faith. You know, the whole study of apologetics, what is the study of defending one's faith, the brain that God gave you coupled with the Holy Spirit speaking to you and the word of God that we have before us, you know, those things, they work really well together. You know, when it comes to the creation account of the universe, the creation account of human beings, and defending that according to the word of God and according to, to science even, thinking and logically seeing the parameters of the universe and how everything is intricately designed, like the circulatory system. There's just all the signs of design in our lives. Or in this world, how the earth is positioned just close enough to the sun to where we don't freeze, but just far enough away to where we don't just, you know, explode Man, that's amazing. And knowing those things, yes, they are good. God has given us a brain. And so we don't just check our brain at the door. You know, speaking of this specific subject, in fact, with the Red Sea crossing, you know, along with the simple faith that I have that God just blew the waters back and dried the ground for the Israelites, I have also used my brain and studied as to, where, as to why I believe where the Red Sea crossing actually happened. I mean, I've used my brain and the word of God and studying so as to, at least in my mind, come up with an idea of where it happened. And not just me, but many other Bible scholars and teachers out there. It's why I firmly believe that, uh, that the Red Sea crossing happened at the Gulf of Aquaban. We can nerd out for a moment and talk about that. There's going to be some, some uh, slides on the screen in just a moment, and we'll just kind of roll through them here. We showed this last week, and we have, of course, Egypt up there. That's the green that says Egypt. You guys are smart. You have the brain. And then the way of the wilderness, where, they, where the Israelites would have traveled as they went from Succoth to Etham, and then down to where you see 
the Gulf of Aqaba. The Red Sea, understand, is like a bunny rabbit. If you're ever wondering what the Red Sea, how to find it on a map, it's the bunny rabbit that um, spans between Egypt and um, and the, and the rest of the Middle East there. And it is the rabbit ear to the right over here, my right at least, where you see here that the, is the Gulf of Aqaba. And I believe firmly because of the topography of, the, of, of that Gulf, both under the water and up outside of the water, that that is where the Red Sea, Red sea crossing happened. You can go to the next slide and this will kind of help elaborate with this more. This is the Gulf of Aqaba, what is known as um, the beach of, of, of Negev. And this beach right here is the only spot along this gulf that has a mountain range that is, to, that, that is to the back, a passage through it, has the water in front where the Israelites would be facing, and then a beach that is substantial enough so as to, to host about two million people. There's no other beach that would accommodate this. And so we see here that there on the Gulf of Aqaba, this beach of Negev is right here. And, you know, quite honestly, again, using the gray matter between my ears, as well as scripture to see what God set up and how he led his people, this makes sense. And you can go to the next slide as well to see that what the crossing would look like. There is the beach of Negev over there. There is the water, the line of which they would have crossed. And quite frankly, it follows, especially as well, and we'll get into more of this in a couple of weeks, if you believe of where the, positional, the position of Sinai is, that it is in fact on the other side of the Gulf of Aqaba, not in the Sinai wilderness. And we will explain more of that as we get into it, um, that it's not actually in a place that would have been controlled by Egypt, but was in a separate place altogether. That, my friends, is again, exercising faith in what the Bible says, but also using my brain. And the Bible calls us to that. The word in following God, it calls us to understand that, hey, God wants us to take his word and to believe it, to trust it. But also, too, to not, to not, that doesn't mean that we just check our brains at the door. You know, another thing, it also, while we're on the same subject, using one's brain to fish through the false claims of discoveries within the Red Sea to help solidify the miracle of the Red Sea crossing. You know, sadly, in, in, our, in our world, there are even those that would claim to be Christian explorers and archaeologists who have discovered things such as Noah's Ark, or even the Ark of the Covenant, or the rock that was split by the waters in the, that was split and gave water in the wilderness. And we'll talk about that next week. And these, these claims, right along with discoveries that have been seen or claimed to have been seen in the Red Sea, Sadly, they are fabricated and even claimed by Christian explorers and archaeologists, honestly just seeking for notoriety. And that is a, an, an issue that, you know, they're going to deal with one day with the Lord, but it's also an issue for us to realize that, hey, as we read our Bibles and use our brains, uh, that we should let the Lord lead and let, you know, let, let our brains also work as the Lord has given them to us to see what is true and to see what is false. Understand that we can read and should read the word of God and we should take it simply, but also too, we don't check our brains at the door. My study of scripture and using my brain that God gave me, it helps me with that. And God wants to help you with that. All of the church, all of us, we should do both of those things. And I am again, again, thankful for the word of God, the simple word of God that it is given to us to read and to see the work of God. I'm thankful that it's plain and that it gives us clear explanation of the working of God. Again, chapter 14 from last week, this account of the Red Sea crossing, we should take it as literal. 
And then what we see here in chapter 15, as Moses is praising the Lord and really explaining more of what happened as he was there and he saw it happen, we should take that as true and as from the Lord's. And I want to encourage all of us tonight to remember, to remember that God gave us his word, and we need to understand this. God gave us his word to reveal himself to us. God gave us his word so that we would know who he is and seek to know him relationally and know him more. Like understand, God is not in the business of hiding himself from us. If that was the case, he wouldn't be the God that we see in the, in the word of God that wants a relationship with us, right? Like a, a God who wants to hide himself from us wouldn't offer reconciliation and salvation to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He would say, you're just on your own. I'm sorry about your bad luck. You sinned, you ruined perfection. That's on you, so bye. That, 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 that's not the God that we read about, that we see offering a relationship to us in the word of God. God is not in the business of hiding himself from those who he loves. Now, understand there are things about God that we don't fully understand, and that's okay too. Understand that as you read the word of God, certain attributes of God, certain works of God, his way, his mind, it is higher than ours. That is truth from the word of God. And that's okay because a God that is too small for me to understand is not a God that really, I think, deserves our worship. If we can understand everything about the Lord's, maybe he's not as big of a God as we, could, as we believe him to be. And so though we may not understand everything, understand God is not in the business of hiding from us. He's not out to confuse us, to lead us astray, or to give us a secret message wrapped up in the plain text of the, of the scriptures. No, he's about giving us his words, of giving us his word, his word that's inspired. Every word is inspired that is within the Bible by him. It's given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is not given to us to confuse. It's not given to us so that God can hide from us. No, it's given to us so that we can know him. God didn't make it complicated, so don't make it complicated. And that's a word to all of us tonight. As you read the Bible in your devotions, take it as, as God's word and enjoy it as something, as the way that God wants to speak to you, one of the ways that God wants to speak and reveal himself to you. Take it as that, not as something that God is giving you one thing to draw a meaning from it, but he really means something else. No, trust that what you read, that's from the Lord and it's for you. God's word is sufficient to explain his words and his work. And so simply believe it, simply believe it. And this story right here and so many other miracles within the word of God, they give us an opportunity to do just that, to just believe in who God is and in what he's done and to trust him and to allow him to continue to lead us. And as well as what we see Moses do here, praise him for the things that he has done. Because not only does chapter 15 and this song of praise by both Moses and Miriam give us an explanation, but also too, it gives us an example. An example, you see, as Moses and Miriam are worshiping the Lord, it's a great example of praising the Lord for who he is and what he has done. And of doing so out loud, of doing so joyously, of doing so openly before the Lord and before other people. 
And this is something that as we see this from Moses here, understand that the Bible, as we start to see things and things happen in the Bible, this is the first song that comes out within the Word of God, plainly for as a person is worshiping. And it's meant to set a tone, to set really the standard, if you will, on what it looks like to worship the Lord. And we see that this same pattern, will it really affects the whole of worship throughout the rest of the Scriptures to realize that we see that as God leads his people through the hard and the easy things of life, that there is reason to praise him, to acknowledge who he is, and to worship him for his character and for his work. You know, this is something that really pertains all the way into even our worship services here at Calvary Chapel. You know, that's why here at this church that we put a great emphasis and intentionality on our worship services because it really matters. It's important. That's why the word of God shows us how important it is. You know, it's why with the songs that we sing, we pray through those weekly and select them so as to be able to give praise to the Lord sufficiently. And even then, it of course doesn't match up because the Lord is worthy of so much more. But understand that the singing portion of our services, I say this often, but I want to always say it, they're not buffer. Uh, The singing portion of our services aren't buffer before the sermon nor buffer between lunch on Sundays or dinner and dessert after Wednesdays, whatever it may be. It's an important aspect of our worship services. And myself and various, the various worship leaders of this church, we take it very seriously. Weekly, we pray to see what songs will go in line with the scripture so that we are better prepared to worship the Lord and then to hear from him. And understand that on an individual level, as well as a corporate level, singing praises or saying praises to our God. And I do say saying praises because you may not like the sound of your voice when you sing. So, hey, just say praises to the Lord as you have the opportunity. Both singing and saying the praises to our God is such an important thing. It's such an important thing. Again, Moses gives us a great example here, and it's something that should not be neglected in our lives because when we praise the Lord, something happens. It does. Something happens. In fact, several things can happen as we praise the Lord. The most important thing is, is that we elevate the Lord to the place and position that he should be. You know, as we sing praises to God, you know, just take some of the songs that we sing tonight or songs that we sing regularly, whether they're an old hymn or a new song of praise, You know, anything that directs our hearts and minds to focus on God being God and us not being God, that's a good praise song. Anything that puts the Lord as the Lord and as good and loving and holy and righteous, that's a song that puts our hearts and minds in the place that God, that puts God in the place in our hearts and minds where he belongs. And it also too does another thing at the same time. It takes our focus off of ourself, which understand us and our flesh us influenced and encouraged by this word, by this world, uh, that's where we go pretty easily. Like, it's just natural. It's natural for me, myself, and I to be the most important people in this world over everybody else. And the world encourages that. Know yourself, push yourself, be your best self, and let everyone else know it. But understand, you're not the center of this universe. You're not the center of the world, neither am I. It is God who we should focus on. And worship not only puts God in the place where he belongs, it writes our mind of where we belong as well. That we belong in the place of worship to worship him and to praise him. That we follow him, we follow his lead and his example, and we see what he has for us. We submit and surrender to him. You know, any song that, that, that speaks of true surrender to the Lord, I absolutely love it. I also am challenged by them because I know that innately that's where I need to be, but my flesh, it, it oftentimes will, will argue against it. 
But as I worship the Lord truly and seeing of him being God and that I need to surrender to that, man, my focus is, it's right it. It's right it. Something else that happens, much like what we see here, is in the song of Moses that he's singing about the Lord's faithfulness, about how God did this work and is faithful and is going to be faithful. You notice there in verse 14, as we're reading there, he says, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. And he continues on with that. And what he's doing there is he's speaking of the reality that God is not only faithful now in this work, but he's going to be faithful continually. And that does something for us as well, friends. When we sing and praise the Lord, we remember his faithfulness. We remember his faithfulness in the times that are hard. And perhaps that is a time that is past or present or maybe one that's future, but we remember it. We remember his faithfulness also in the times of calling, when God is calling you, speaking to you to step out on mission, to step out in faith. Man, a song of praise that writes our heart and mind to remember that he is faithful and that does a lot of good. That does a lot of good to our stepping out and working for the Lord's. But it also is just so good to do that during the mundane times of life as well. You know, so oftentimes we point to and look to praise the Lord and seek the Lord after we've come out of a storm or on the other side of something that's hard or looking forward to something that's hard or we're going through it. But quite honestly, remembering God's faithfulness in the mundane day-to-day things of life, man, that is so good for us. It's so good for us to remember that God is faithful, not just in the hard times when we think we need him most, but he's faithful when you're taking the trash out. He's faithful when you're driving down the road. He's faithful when you're at work, when you're at home just playing with the kids or watching your dog do something silly. He is faithful and singing and praising the Lord in those times is so good. You know, just having worship music playing in your house, again, whether it's hymns or the newest praise song out there or a mixture of both, just playing that in your house just lends itself and lends your heart and mind to remember the faithfulness of God in the everyday things of life. And the other thing that it does, much like what I just said a moment ago, is it readies our hearts and minds, like taking it to this type of setting, to a worship service. It readies our hearts and minds to hear from the Lord. You know, when you're worshiping the Lord and praising him for who he is, for his faithfulness, acknowledging that he is God and that you're not, you're a lot more inclined to hear from him as you read his word, as you hear his word, which is why we encourage, you know, don't skip out on the last song of worship. Don't be late to worship services because understand that as you hear and as you listen, as you worship the Lord and put him in the place that he belongs, then when it comes time to read his word, you're ready for it because you're already focused on him. You're already ready to hear what he has because you're already looking to him. Worship does something, friends. And as people who are following the Lord, much like these Israelites who are fresh out of Egypt, walking with him, seeking to learn more about how to be his people, and he's ready to tell him, man, they are worshiping the Lord and it's essential to them learning more about him. And it's the same for us, friends. Don't neglect worship. Don't neglect singing praises to God. Don't neglect, if you don't, again, like the sound of your voice, saying praises to God. You know, the Psalms are a great, are, are a great example of things that you can just say over and over again, really all of the word of God. You can just speak it and worship the Lord as you do so and just praise his name. And man, that does something for our hearts and minds. That does something for our lives here. And Moses, Miriam, they give us a great example here as they're being led by the Lord. They worship him. They proclaim who he is, what he has done. And they're ready to be led further. They're ready to be led further. And my friends, we will be the same. 
And as we see them being led further, and as we jump back into the text now, as we see them being led, as they're following the Lord, what we see next in the text is this starting of a showing of provision that comes from the Lord to his people. And we're going to just cover one of them tonight as we look here towards the end of chapter 15. As we look here at the provision of the Lord, we pick up in verse 22 and read through the end of the chapter. Where it says there, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters, they were made sweets. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, then I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the waters." As we start this section here of the, of the nation of Israel moving to Sinai and the Lord providing for them along the way, which really sets up some provision that we're going to see um, on through their wilderness wanderings, we're going to see that he provides for them things that are, that, are, that, are, that are needed for just human survival, water and food. But along with it, we're going to see the Lord continue to train his people, instruct his people on how to be his people. And I'll show you what we mean as we get there. But what we see in these verses today is, again, this basic necessity of life, water being provided as the waters of Mara, which means bitter, as they are made sweet. We see this here. As the people are now on the move, the text says that they are three days into their journey. And that is three days from the banks of the Red Sea on their way to Mount Sinai. We're going to throw that map up there again so that you can kind of get an idea of where they are as they're moving forth. As we see there, they've just come across the Red Sea and they've come about three days journey now down to the south and they are here at Marah. Their next stop, of course, will be Elam and then they will head up to another area as they're moving through this wilderness of Sin or wilderness of Zin on their way to what is the true Mount Sinai. Again, we'll cover why that's the case in a couple of weeks. But we see that as they're on their way, as they're walking, they're in the desert, and the desert, well, it's hot. You know, we have some friends that live in the desert in uh, California, there in the Palm Springs area, and it's hot. The desert, it's a lot of fun because there's a lot of rock climbing, which I thoroughly enjoy. However, it is hot, and they are walking through the desert, which would be hot. And so, of course, dehydration, the need for water, that, of course, arises. And so as they're on their way, they come to Mara and they notice some water and they go to drink the water. You can imagine the scene in your mind and as they put it in their mouth, they realize we don't need this in our body. <laughs> they spit it out and they say, ah, no, Mara, it's bitter. Mara, of course, means bitter. If you have read the book of Ruth, you'll remember Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, that as she lost the loved ones and all of, and all, and she was going back, you know, having lost, having lost her husband and her daughters, losing their husbands, everyone died. You'll remember that she said, no longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara for my life. It, it is bitter. The same thing is in play here. As they drink the water, it is bitter to their mouths, and so they call the waters Mara. And the people, this will be their trend, they immediately start to complain. 
They immediately start to complain. They start to just go uh, against the Lord and they go against Moses. Again, what do they say? They say, what shall we drink? It says that they complained against Moses. What shall we drink? We're dying out here, man. What is going to happen? This water is undrinkable. And they complain to Moses. And you notice, notice what Moses does. And Moses, I love when he does this. He's going to fail a few times, but so do we all. He here, instead of jumping into the complaining or getting angry at the people, he goes to the Lord's. He goes to the Lord there, and it turns out that the Lord shows him, simply, it just says, it shows him a tree. God shows him a tree, and when Moses casts this tree into the waters, it says that the waters, they're made sweet. That as he puts the tree into the waters, the waters are safe to drink by the tree being applied. And there is a very sweet picture here within this work, and a challenging picture as well. Whereas the people of Israel, freshly out of their, free, freshly into their freedom, freshly out of bondage, and just three days into their journey following the Lord from the Red Sea. In fact, they're less than a month into this trip. If you can, if you can picture this in their mind, they have left Egypt. They're walking. It's less than a month, and just three days past their time from the Red Sea. Understand that they encounter immediately some hardship which much like our life, walking with the Lord is going to happen. Relationship with the Lord doesn't excuse one from hardship. But as they do, they immediately forget the great work and the faithfulness of God. Again, what happened just three days prior? They can probably still see and smell the sea as they are there walking and facing these bitter waters. They forget that the God of the universe just recently stood water on top of itself and let them walk through on dry, on dry ground. They forget all the dead Egyptians that they see or had seen on the seashore. And they can see or, or, or see all that vividly in their memory still, I'm sure, but yet they forget the working of God on their behalf and they immediately start to complain. But God is so ready if they would just seek him to show them a remedy to this issue. Notice that. Like, like all we see in this case, it was simply being, showed, being shown a tree and being instructed to put it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet and drinkable. You know, kind of like what we talked about with the Red Sea, this sadly is another thing where scientists and scholars with way too much time on their hands like to try to figure this out, try to figure out God's miracle. They're like, oh, well, it was the bark and the sap, and you couple that together, and it filters out all the toxins in the waters. Who cares? Who cares? It's God who did this simply through the faith of Moses, putting that tree in the water. That's good enough for me. And that's what we see here. We see here that Moses, as he went to the Lord, the Lord said, you know what? Here's what you need. Here's this tree right here. Put that thing in the water and I'm gonna make the water sweet. And that's exactly what happens. And as we read this, this honestly is not too unlike our own lives. That like this water can become bitter. Our, our lives, it is inescapable in this fallen world that we live in, is at times very bitter. Our lives are at times very bitter. As we follow the Lord, we will encounter issues in this life, bitter issues, issues that have to deal with sin, our own sin and the sin of those around us. Sin has consequences in our life and in other people's lives and it infects all of our lives. We face that. We face in this world because it's fallen death and loss. We face strife in relationships, both in the church and outside of the church, in situations that are bitter. Even as we follow the Lord, I want to make always sure to be honest with you that you are not immune from the bitter things of life. 
But understand how sweet it is to know that instead of complaining about it, which is what we like to do, which is what is natural for us to do, that we, like Moses, can cry out to the Lord. and He is ready to meet with us. He's ready to meet and to work in our bitter situation. And much like the children of Israel, I love this picture. Much like the children of Israel had this tree to throw into their situation. Well, so too is there the tree that Jesus Christ died on. The cross of Calvary, a great reminder to us of our hope that we have in the bitterness of life. To realize that no matter how bitter life gets, that we have because of the cross of Calvary, because of the love of God and the finished work of Jesus, that we have a living hope through the bitterness. That we have a living hope that makes life all the more sweet as we walk forward with him and see Jesus being with us through it. And I know that as I say that, I know that as I say that because I've said it before and I've gotten a reaction that I'm going to talk about in a second. I know as I say that, that something so simple to say can also be something that is so frustrating to hear. You know, I've counseled enough people in my time as a pastor to know that sometimes people don't like to hear a simple thing, like much like, much like this, like Moses was told, throw a tree into the water and make it sweet. There are people that I've counseled before who have not liked the, the, the counsel, hey, you need to seek the Lord. That have not liked the counsel, hey, you need to repent of your sin and just lean into Jesus. Hey, you need to be saved. You need to apply the finished work of Jesus. You need to read your Bible and pray every single day. There are people who do not like that because it's so simple. It's so simple and silly. That's never gonna work. We like to complicate things. People like to make things so hard. We'd rather complain. We'd rather find someone to stew in our bitterness with us. We like to make things complicated. We want to fix that it's complicated, that has steps to it, steps that have been proven time and time again by a lot of research and all these things. Understand, friends, in the same way that a tree was just applied to this waters and made it sweet. Understand that in any situation, we can and should simply go to the foot of the cross, go to where the love of God is shown to us in a relationship and reconciliation is made available to us and see that Jesus is ready to walk with us through anything, through any bitter situation, through any hardship in our life. The Lord is so ready to meet us and to walk alongside of us. Simply applying that tree made the water sweet. Simply applying and seeking Jesus makes our life so much sweeter, so much better. As simple as it may sound, again, the Bible is simple. Following Jesus, it needs to be simple as well. Just seek him and lean into him, follow him, and he will lead you. Faithfully, he will lead you. And that's what we see here, the simple provision. What these people needed, they needed water to drink. The Lord gave them a way to drink it. They partook of it. In the same way that we can and should cry out to the Lord, he offers clear leading to us, but he also offers instruction. He offered instruction to them. He offered instruction, we see there in verses 25 through 26, as he tells them that if they will follow him and obey him and heed his voice to do all that he has for them, what does he say there? He says that I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And what he's doing here is giving insight into really days ahead, quite honestly. Whereas he's going to be consistently instructing them, again, showing them how they are to look as they identify as his people, He's going to be speaking to them things that have to do with cleanliness and dietary laws and all kinds of things. And he promises them, hey, if you will follow me, you're, you, you will do well. 
In fact, you will be well. All the things that the Egyptians, all these diseases that they would have been exposed to because of their diet in Egypt, because of their lifestyle in Egypt. He says, hey, you follow my instruction, you're gonna do well. You're gonna be well. Follow it. And this, of course, will pertain to much of what we read as we continue in our study of the Old Testament, as we get into the book of Leviticus, as we get further into things, as as we read, we will see the Lord speak these things to them. But he provides for them here something that they needed. With such a simple, simple act, they were able to have this basic necessity for life. And next week, we're going to see the same thing. As next week, it's not water on the front end of chapter 16, but it's bread, it's food that they need. And they're gonna complain, they're gonna cry out against Moses, they're gonna cry out against God, they're gonna look back at their bondage in Egypt and remember some things that were good about it, but yet forget that they were in bondage and all of that we're gonna see next week, you know, as we pick back up in chapter 16. But as we end tonight, and I had grand plans, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm looking so forward to just continuing on to the, New Te- to the Old Testament and these books and making our way through all five books of the, of the Torah um, as, as we study this year. And so in my mind, I'm like, man, we're blowing through this section tonight. But quite honestly, instead of going into chapter 16 and just kind of halfway doing it, skipping over some things, we're going to end tonight and seek to get a grasp on, because it's important to grasp, And it's important to play out the truths that we see in our life tonight as we see Moses here praising the Lord and we see the Lord providing for his people. Because understand that tonight in a room that we live in, and honestly within this church, this church body, I'll be open and honest with you, within this church body, just here, what is it, 25 days into this new year, there has been a lot of bitterness and a lot of hurt within our church And not people going against one another in a divisive way or anything like that. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about real spiritual warfare that has been present within the lives of people that are seeking to follow Jesus. Real spiritual warfare and hardship, dealing with sin and loss and depression, things that Jesus can speak into, things that the Bible speaks to and wants to lead us out of, things that are real that we as Christians are not immune to. That has been present within this church body and present within, it's going to continue to be. I promise you it will. And maybe tonight, some of you that are here, maybe tonight you need to, or you know that you need to pray for someone to and encourage someone to be worshiping the Lord and see the provision of the Lord in their life as they deal with the bitterness of life, as they deal with the hardship of walking in this world that has fallen and living for the Lord's. Perhaps tonight, the example that we see of praise and looking to the provision of Jesus, perhaps that's something to be applied in your life or for you to pray for in someone else's life. You see, maybe tonight, simply, you need to praise the Lord. You need to praise Him. And, and, you know, not just in the way that we're about to sing together and go our way, though that is important. And though Corbin and I prayed this afternoon and thought through what song we're going to sing and allowed the Lord to lead that, though that's super important, not just pertaining to tonight, but you need to take time in your life and in your heart to really just lift up the Lord in praise, to praise him for who he is, looking at his faithfulness, looking at his faithfulness and the faithfulness that's wrapped up in his character, his faithfulness in the past, in the present, and what's gonna be, how he's gonna be faithful in the future because that is the God that we serve. Perhaps tonight you need to praise him for that, realizing that he is faithful today and wants to be faithfully showing himself 
in your life. Perhaps tonight you just need to simply praise the Lord and set your affections on him so as to walk forward with him rightly, so as to walk forward with him knowing that he's got you and that he wants to lead you. Perhaps tonight you need to praise the Lord, but maybe that's where, where you are tonight is you need to, as you're praising the Lord, seek his provision and seek to see the provision of the Lord. And oftentimes when we say provision, of course our minds go to physical, practical needs. And, and indeed that may be the case. That may be the case for your life tonight. That's certainly something that God can and will speak into in your life, desires to lead maybe in ways that you don't imagine. Maybe he provides in a way that's outside and a, uh, you know, just completely blows you away or maybe... Maybe he provides just his presence to walk through it with you. I, I, I don't know. But not just physical. Jesus, understand, through the cross of Calvary, shows us the love of God in a relationship and in reconciliation to him that he has, not just for salvation, but also for leading and walking with us in this world. See, the Lord wants to provide for you tonight, provide for me, provide for us as the church tonight. His presence and hope that we have from the cross of Calvary, from the relationship that we have. And as many of us that are in this room and as many as have been represented already this year with the hardships of life, I'd venture to guess that perhaps that's where some of you may be. I'm just seeking the Lord and just saying, Lord, I just need you to meet me tonight. I just need to meet you. And so I invite you tonight to cry out to the Lord, to you personally, to you and Jesus, just spend the time and just cry out to him and say, Lord, I just need to praise you. I just need to see your provision in my life. I just need you, Lord, to meet me. And I want to encourage you to do that if that is you, because understand the Lord, he will meet you. When Moses cried out to the Lord saying, hey, this is bitter, he was right there with the solution. He was right there. He didn't make Moses wait. He didn't make Moses just, just kind of linger on and hear the complaining of the people. No, he met him right then and there. And our God will still do the same in our lives. If we will listen, if we will come to him and seek him out, desiring to hear what he has to say and then live according to it, he will provide for us. He will provide everything that we need. He gives us access to all things we know from 2 Peter 1.3 that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him. We have the ability to lean into that and see that if he says he'll give it to us, then he's going to do that. So we see here tonight explanation and example in the praise. And we also see an example to follow in the provision, knowing that the Lord is going to do so should we seek him. And so tonight, if that's you, if you need to praise the Lord, I encourage you here in a moment, praise the Lord. And praise the Lord all the way home. Praise the Lord all the way to bedtime. Praise the Lord when you wake up in the morning. Put some praise music on as you're sleeping tonight. And put it on real low if you need to, to where when you wake up in the morning, that's what's going through your head. That's the first thing you hear is just praise to our God. Praise the Lord tonight. But also to seek the Lord tonight. If you're walking through something that's bitter, seek the Lord. Know that he will provide his spirit. He'll provide everything that we need and desire to lead your life from this point forward. And it may not get immediately better, but I can tell you the bitterness is so much sweeter. It's so much sweeter as you walk through the hardness as the Lord is with you, because you know that he's with you and the Lord promises to be with you. So seek the Lord, perhaps it's praise, perhaps it's just seeking out that provision, but understand that as you do so, 
the Lord will be faithful.